0: You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from House for All Sinners and Saints. We are an Evangelical Lutheran Church in America congregation in Denver, Colorado, and you can find out more about us at www.houseforall.org. Grace and peace to you from God, your Creator, from Jesus Christ, your Bridegroom, and from the Holy Spirit, who is the seal of love upon your heart. Amen. Um, it's a pleasure to be here with you, and it has been for the past couple of days, Catherine and I had the opportunity to teach uh, a couple of classes on poetry together, and so um, it's been just delightful to be part of this community. Well, let's dive right in. We're, I'm going to preach on Micah 6, 1 through 8. We're going to do a little Old Testament fire into you tonight. Um, <laughs> and I, I hope that your eyes didn't start to glaze over when you started hearing about sacrifices and blood of rivers or rivers of blood. But uh, we're going we're to get right into it right now. Micah 6, 6 asks an ancient question. And it's actually a question that we are sort of intrinsically asking every time we step into the doors of this church. And that is, how do I approach God? How do I, as the creature, come before God, who is the creator? And listen to the answer again. He has told you, oh man, we'll make it inclusive, and woman, um, what is good and what the Lord requires of you, only to do justice to love goodness, in Hebrew the word is chesed, covenant faithfulness, and to walk modestly or to walk humbly with your God. This is a powerful summation, I think, of the life that brings delight to the heart of God. The third century rabbi Simlai put it this way. He said, 613 commandments were revealed to Moses at Sinai. Yes, he counted them. 365 prohibitions, equal in number to the solar days. 248 mandates, uh, corresponding in number to the limbs of the human body. I don't know if he went to modern medical school. Micah came and reduced them to three principles. Do justice, love mercy, Um, love covenant faithfulness, and walk humbly with your God. Martin Luther King, in his notes on this same verse, says, This is a high-water mark of the Old Testament. And he said this, um, Few notions so sublime have been conceived in the whole history of religion. You know, Micah 6, 8 is to the Old Testament... What, my, what Matthew 22 is to the New Testament. Do you remember that story when the Pharisees come up to Jesus and they had heard, he heard him respond and they say, Jesus, answer a question for us. What is the most important commandment? And do you remember what he says? He actually cheats a little bit because he gives two answers. Um, <laughs> it's like my students who try to circle C and D in the multiple choice. <laughs> um, so he says, first one is what? You love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind and love your neighbor as yourself. And he says, on these all the law and the prophets hang. Okay? So Micah 6.8 is like that. It sort of sums things up. It is. I was telling Nadia the other day, I think that Micah 6.8 is God's I have a dream speech. This is what God, in my imagination, <laughs> would say if God were asked to give a, give a speech on. What is your dream for humanity? What is humanity called to do? They are called to do justice. They are called to love fiercely, Faithfulness to God. They are called, thirdly, to, um, uh, to walk with humility before the Creator. This is God's eye of a dream speech, in my view. But, you know, context always matters, right? We always read from somewhere, don't we? We never read from some vacuum no We are always situated. We bring everything we are to the task of reading. And have you ever had that experience where, you know, you maybe watched a movie or something as a young kid and then return to it as an adult, and, and you're like, wow, I wish I had seen that before. How could I miss, you know, that twist in the plot, or how could I miss that relationship and the dynamic there? And I, I had this experience last year. I was working on this research project dealing with humor in, in Judaism, and um, so I decided I'm, I'm going to watch Spaceballs again, <laughs> because Spaceballs is, of course, it's a Mel Brooks film, right? Mel Brooks is, is a Jew, and... Um, and so I was just kind of tapping into this whole stream of humor. And as a kid, and I was sort of a sci-fi nerd. I was born one. And uh, so when in high school, we watched this because it was sort of the spoof, right, off Star Wars. Thought, oh, it's funny. And then young boys sort of tell certain jokes to one another from the movie. You know, <laughs> it's sort of this high school bantering. But then when I, be- when I, when I started looking at these, uh, this movie again, I watched it. And I realized that this is not just a spoof on Star Wars this is a critique of Nazi socialism. You need to watch it through those lenses, look at the uniforms, um, look at uh, just the way the whole... This is a deep, deep critique of Nazi socialism. But I was only able to see that as an adult, right? Context matters. We always bring ourselves and our past and our history to it. Well, Micah 6, 1 through 8 is really a powerful verse. Right? And I could, see, I could imagine Micah wrote this thing in the 8th century. He's an 8th century prophet. He wrote it, and I think after he penned it, it, it was such a good poem. He was like, kill me, God. I'm ready to go. <laughs> like, this is so good. You, know, it doesn't, you don't get any better than this. This is his magnum opus. But then, here's the problem. Some later readers from a couple centuries later started reading that verse again, and they came up with some really different questions. Um... You see, the verses following 6, 8, so 6, verses 6, 9 through seven twenty, were all written a couple hundred years later. They're actually commentary, really the first biblical commentaries on this verse, but they come with some really different questions. This is one of the questions they have. What do we do when the Micah 6, 8 woman or man is nowhere to be found? What happens When Micah 6.8 no longer represents a path into God's presence, but a boundary keeping us out. What do we do when we look both within and without and realize that we are the ones responsible for smashing God's dreams, that it is precisely because we have not kept Micah 6.8 that That there is disaster and ruin around us. These are live questions for the for the Jews of the sixth century, because their city was destroyed, and they believed precisely because they did not keep this kind of mandate. So what? How then do you approach God? Do you hear how that question is different on the other side of judgment? They wanted to know how do I approach God after the gavel of judgment has fallen? How do I come to God then? Listen to the prophet's lament. I'm going to read from Micah 7, 3 through 6, so just a couple verses after um, the verse we read today. Listen to his lament or his rant about the state of his society. Their hands are skilled at doing evil. The official and the judge ask for a bribe, and the powerful dictate what they desire. Thus they pervert justice. The best of them is like a briar. The most upright of them, a thorn hedge. The day of their punishment has come. Now their confusion is at hand. Put no trust in a friend. Have no confidence in a loved one. Guard the doors of your mouth from her who lies in your embrace. For the son treats the father with contempt. The daughter rises up against her mother. The daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Your enemies are members of your own household. Loyalty. For Micah, when he looks across his society, loyalty has no weight. Injustice knows no boundaries. It is in your house, he says. It is in your very bed. Injustice has gone so deeply into his society. Now, with those indictments in mind, how does one answer the question? With what do I come before God? How now do I come before God? What happens when the elegance and beauty of Micah 6, 8 only serve to underscore how far one is from God. And so, unable to find the person, the Micah 6 8 woman or man, the scribes have to look elsewhere for a different answer. And they turn their eyes away from the slaughter and the judgment that they had experienced, and they turn their eyes toward the shepherd. And in doing so, they come up with a very different answer to the question how can I approach God? This is their answer. I'm reading from Micah 7, 18 through 20. These are the final verses of Micah. This is the, the exclamation point on Micah. Who is a God like you, forgiving iniquity and remitting transgressions, who has not maintained his wrath forever against the remnant of his own people? Because God loves chesed. God loves covenant faithfulness even when we don't. That's my addition. He will take us back in love. He will cover up our iniquities. You, God, will hurl all of our sins into the depths of the sea. You will keep faith with Jacob, loyalty to Abraham, as you promised on oath to our fathers in days gone by. What is the answer then? How does one approach God after the gavel of judgment has fallen? Well, For these later scribes who came across this problem, this was their answer. You take your dirtied, sullied, and maybe even bloodied hands, and you grab hold with all of your might to that promise that your sins have been thrown into the depths of the sea. That Jesus Christ has not only thrown them, he's stolen them from you. They aren't yours anymore. And it is with that promise that we come before God, and that we boldly approach into the presence of God. Amen. If these sermons are meaningful for you, we invite you to support the congregation, and you can do that at houseforall.org. There's a PayPal button there. Also, we'd love for you to come and join us for liturgy. We meet at 4 o'clock and 6 o'clock on Sundays at 2201 Dexter in Denver.